0: Hey everybody, I'm Greg Boyd, Senior Pastor of Woodland Hills Church. We're in week three of our Sustain campaign and things are chugging right along. We're up to 324 Sustainers working toward our goal of 400. Sustain is a short campaign that we run each year to ask our podcast audience to consider supporting our ministry, that's you, our Padrishnors. You can learn more about it by going to whchurch.org sustain. We have Padrishnors who tune in literally from all over the world which is just so cool. In the last week or so, uh, we've had new European Sustainers, we've had folks from fin- Finland, Norway, the UK. I mean, it's truly really an honor that so many of you choose to follow along with our teachings. We hope you're able to act as a mustard seed in your corner of the world to spread God's beautiful kingdom. If you're interested in signing up or learning about more about this, just go to whchurch.org sustain. You'll be able to get all the details and check out this year's funky thank you t-shirt that we'll send out to sustainers at the close of the campaign. As always, thank you for being one of our Padrishners and for tuning into our messages. Uh, next up, the most eloquent and holy Dr. Sandra Mays Unger will kick off our new series on encouragement. God bless you guys. Enjoy the sermon. I'm, I'm
1: trying to collect titles, so that's cool. Also, how cool that I'm here on a week that there's food after the service. I feel like I could not have timed it better. It's so good to be here with all of you. You are my people, so I always feel so at home here and so glad to be in this space with you. As David said, we have a new series starting called Take Heart, and today in the next four weeks, we're going to look at what does encouragement look like in the church, in our own lives? What does it look like if we're the discouraged ones or if we're the ones offering encouragement? And that's, those are the questions that we'll be looking at these weeks. So let's start with prayer. God, every person here is coming in with their own stuff and you are the one who knows what that is and my prayer today is that you would meet each person just where they're where they are whether they are discouraged broken or maybe needing to offer encouragement or maybe life is just going great and they're here to say thank you god in all of those situations and a billion more you are adequate to the task Of meeting us there and we thank you for that in Jesus name amen so before we start into the question of encouragement I get to talk about discouragement so the first thing I want to say to you is I am giving you permission today to be discouraged to be discouraged is to deprive of courage hope or confidence a discouraged person has lost their courage discourage So maybe they've lost their courage to try again, to take a step of faith, to say yes to love, maybe even just to get out of the bed in the morning, or maybe even to go on living. Discouragement runs the gamut from little things to really, really big things. Most people can relate to this feeling at some end of that spectrum, some of you at the very deepest level, and some of you today. Some churches, and maybe you've seen them, teach that it's a sin to be discouraged, If we follow Jesus, there's just no reason to ever be discouraged, except those churches aren't reading the Bible because actually Jesus was discouraged many times when his disciples didn't live up to his call and expectations, when he was hanging on the cross and he asked why God had forsaken him. We have Paul coming to the church in Corinth in weakness and trembling and much fear. Sounds discouraged to me. David often said, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. Job said, why did I not die at birth? That's discouraged. And Peter breaks down after denying three times that he knew Jesus. There are stories all through the Bible of great people of faith just having a bad day or a bad long time and calling out and saying, I just can't take it anymore. That's what discouragement is. It's a normal human predicament and you get to be discouraged. That's my gift to you today. You're welcome, yeah. In the midst of living out this gift of discouragement, we know that God is our hope in the middle of it. We know that up here, but we don't always feel it. It can just get so deep that we can't even summon God's presence, we don't feel it. God can seem very far away, and this is one of the things we'll be looking at in weeks to come. My recommendation is if you are looking for advice or input on discouragement, do not Google it, because I did that, And I got a whole lot of YouTube videos of various people, ministers and not ministers saying, you got this. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right? Have courage in the face of discouragement. How helpful is that? I'm discouraged. I have no courage. Well, have courage! How helpful? I mean, hello? These are people who are not really willing to engage at the very, very deepest levels of what it means to be discouraged. They're just skimming across the surface. They don't want to get too close to the messy realities of life or acknowledge that discouragement is part of the normal human condition. And often they can make things worse because you're already discouraged. And then a minister comes and says, well, don't be discouraged, just trust in God. And then you feel even more discouraged because you realize, I can't even do that. The discouragement runs too deep. So we're gonna look both at discouragement and encouragement today. What does discouragement look like? And what are the ways we can respond that are helpful? And what should we not ever do? And sometimes that's the most important thing. There's a tendency to minimize situations of discouragement, not just on YouTube, but in real life. We wanna say, believe in the Lord, claim victory over it, mostly because we don't know what else to say or do, and we need to get better at that. So I'm gonna tell a real life story of discouragement to help us think deeply about what a helpful and Christ-like response might be in the face of extreme discouragement. And it's the kind of story where we just don't know what to do or say. And it's the story of my brother, Jerry. And he's going to pop up here in a fancy little suit. Jerry's 59 years old, so this picture is a little out of date. Just a little. Uh, He's passionate, creative, athletic, funny. Those are the words that I would describe him. He's worked with kids in the court system for years, mentoring them. He takes them on, on the lakes of northern Michigan. He plays tennis. He teaches them to play tennis. He invests in their lives far outside the courtroom. He's worked as a therapist and a friend of the court. He's been a missionary to Taiwan. He's helped start churches. He's really lived toward the goal of making Jesus' priorities his priorities. He's a lifelong athlete. He's been a high school tennis coach. He plays tennis competitively. He's an avid runner. Uh, Yeah, he's running a marathon in the rain which a rain, well, there's a lot of reasons not to run a marathon. (laughs) If rain was the thing, then I wouldn't do it. He's a water skier. And most impressively, he's a barefoot water skier. That's without skis, in case you didn't know what barefoot means. (laughs) Jerry's resting heart rate has been about 45, which in most people would qualify as being dead, I think, but he's made it work. He has less than 20% BMI. He's a bit of a machine. Actually, he's kind of like Tigger. When I was trying to think of how can I help people understand this, he's not a big guy, this bundle of energy that's my brother, I thought of Tigger, the Winnie the Pooh dude who hops around on his tail. And that's just kind of how he lives life. He's got a ton of energy, he's intense, he's passionate. He works around the house and builds things, but he does it uh, passionately and creatively. He's been married to Laura since 1982. They have three kids and eight grandkids. And another thing that will help you understand him is that his grandkids call him Poppy, which I have to say, I want to be called Poppy by my grandchildren, because what better word can you be called than Poppy? And that just kind of describes what he is, Hoppy and Poppy. So he rolls around on the floor with them. They think he's one of them. Like I said, he's not a big guy, so they just kind of accept him into the group. And I've never seen an adult spend so much time on the floor doing ridiculous things. This is my brother, Jerry. Now, I have to say, because I've really built him up, that he's not perfect. He's a very picky eater. And he keeps his house far too clean. And this is, this is just my assessment. Those people <laughs> drive me insane. So I love Jerry. He lives in northern Michigan, so I don't see him all the time. But we stay in touch, we do a family vacation together, see each other at holidays. And he started having foot problems in 2015. And in 2016, he was diagnosed with a very rare condition called Complex Regional Pain Syndrome, or CRPS, in his lower left leg and foot. Now, a lot of you, most of you probably haven't heard of this. I hadn't heard of it. But with CRPS, the process of pain communication between the affected limb and your brain gets all confused. And it's very perplexing, even to the medical disorder, because he has persistent pain in his left leg and foot all the time, burning and aching, followed by periods of extreme cold and numbness, and there's nothing that shows up in the limb not just for Jerry, but anyone with CRPS, there's nothing that shows up in the limb that says why this pain is there. So it's very hard to treat because there's nothing there to treat. There aren't a lot of treatment options, obviously. It's really about managing the pain. And the pain is constant and extreme 24 hours a day. So he's had a variety of treatments over a period of three years. Lots of different pain meds, methadone, orthotic inserts, nerve blockers, acupuncture, and a whole variety of physical therapies, and nothing has helped. It just keeps getting worse and worse. In addition, you can't sleep. For those of you who have chronic pain, you can't sleep when you're in constant pain. And so they prescribed a whole bunch of different sleep remedies, and none of those worked. And so he feels like for three years he's never had a good night of sleep. His CRPS started having other, deeper impacts, which is bone loss, bone deformity, muscle atrophy, arthritis, and on and on. And I always get the picture of Tigger when his tail doesn't work anymore, that that's where Jerry has landed. This disease is nicknamed the suicide disease because it leaves people who suffer from it without hope. It leaves them at the edge of life, and it leaves them extremely discouraged. Jerry talks about the collateral damage of living every moment of every day with excessive pain. He talks about emotional upheaval, lack of energy, loss of activity, social disruption, mental distraction, loss of control over his life, loss of passion and identity, and mental health deterioration. And those of you, again, who live with chronic pain know what he's talking about. So after years of trying all of these different treatments, there was a procedure that they were going to try as a last resort, and it's where they implant a stimulator in a nerve bundle next to his spine, and it's supposed to tell the nervous system, you're doing this wrong, I'm going to zap you, and you're going to figure it out. So they went to do a scan on him to see that the stimulator would fit in the space, and in the process of doing the scan, they found a a cancerous tumor on his kidney because he needed another thing. So they removed that, and praise God, that all went well. And last month, they inserted a trial stimulator at the University of Michigan, which is they do it externally to see if it works, and then if it does, then they put the real thing in. So he had to live with this external attachment for eight days, and for eight days, he had excruciating pain in his back where the leads were attached, and he didn't have any relief of pain in his left leg. So he's basically out of options. They took out the leads, and he went home to northern Michigan to live a life where his body doesn't work anymore. So they had to sell their house and move into a first-floor apartment, and in mid-May, in just less than a month, he's going to retire early. So he's obviously been extremely depressed and discouraged at various times throughout these years as each treatment failed to work. He's lost his ability to do all the things that he loves to do, things he's done since he was a kid. So no more tennis, no more running, no more water skiing. And Poppy can't roll around on the floor quite like he could before. And Tigger can't bounce on his tail quite like he could before. And this is real discouragement. And I have to insert here, my family, if we've had a few people who have cancer, and my family, we're like, you know, Midwestern hard workers, and so when you get cancer, we all say, okay, get through it, get it together, get going. And my family did not know how to respond to this because there is no get through it, get going, get over it. We want the old Jerry back. Nobody can do anything about that. So we weren't handling it really well. And this level of discouragement is something that our efforts at encouragement can barely touch. And I know that many of you suffer physical ailments this bad. Many of you have had terrible accidents, terrible diseases. You've had painful pasts that have left you traumatized. You've had difficult relationship issues, you've had difficult financial issues. There is more than enough pain to go around. These are big problems and sometimes these big problems actually drive those close to us away at a time we need them most and it's because they don't know what to do and that's one of the things we're going to cover in the series is you need people those people need to come close we need to come close to the person who's discouraged. You've probably been part of if you've suffered ever efforts for people to encourage you that were just horrible didn't go well, even though they're well intended. They're well intended, but they're not good. So I asked Jerry to help us with this. What not to do when you're extremely discouraged? What do your friends and family not need to do? I'll just say one of them, which is not his, which is stop saying, okay, get it together, get up, play tennis again. I learned that that was not gonna work, our usual family approach. Here's three things that he said. He said, the worst efforts have been people pointing to supposed biblical promises of healing, A, if you pray the right way, B, if enough people pray, and C, the right people pray, etc., etc., etc. Right now, Jerry needs to know that God is absolutely 100% on his side. And that kind of input calls all that into question. Where is God in this? And people make him feel like, well, not with me. And God is with him. And the second thing he said not to do is... Relate your tales of woe immediately after asking him about his. It's the kind of thing where it seems like you're not really listening or you don't really care because you end up saying things like, Well, that's nothing. You should hear this one. You think that's bad. Don't do that. Listen. And the third is people constantly asking how he's doing, and he knows people are asking it because they care. But sometimes he wants to just be able to sit with people and put aside the bully of pain for a few minutes or a few hours and not constantly, every time he sees people all day, every day, have to explain, here's how I am today. Here's how discouraged I am today. He wants people to just enter into the fun of family or whatever's going on sometimes and not obsess about his leg. So he's discouraged by his life situation and then sometimes more discouraged by people's responses to it. And so we need to know, what do we do? How do we enter in with people like Jerry, who have things that are keeping them from getting out into life and living it, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, relational? What do we have to offer people who struggle like that? The first thing that you should know is that it's not going to be easy to engage with this level of discouragement. It is a hard journey, but it's a journey worth taking because we're a community and we're family and we want to be there for people. So let's talk about how. So I'm going to offer you a few, follow with me. Don't, don't lose me right now. Don't let me lose you because we're going to go through a few definitions and I promise I'll get to a point. So the first one is, let's look at definitions. Discourage, is, as we said, to deprive of courage, hope, or confidence. So then we look at the opposite, which is encourage, to inspire with courage, hope, or confidence. So what's courage? We have discourage, we have encourage. Well, what is courage? Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, and pain without fear. So the discouraged person has no courage. We come along as encouragers to help them face their difficulty and pain and gain courage. That's our job as encouragers. So the question is, once we go and do that work of encouragement, do all the difficulties go away? Is the pain gone? Do they stop being discouraged? Does it work right away? This is not like a one-time task. And here's where the story comes full circle. Because in order to encourage, we, ourselves, have to have courage. We ourselves have to have courage in order to encourage people. We have to have the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person, us in this case, to face the difficulty and pain without fear so that we can offer it to others. And as Brene Brown says in a new Netflix special that, by the way, you should definitely watch, she says, courage always requires vulnerability. Well, that's kind of scary. Courage always requires vulnerability. So what does it mean to be vulnerable? Capable or of or susceptible to being wounded or hurt. That's what I want to be. <laughs> this is awesome. I want to be wounded and hurt. And here's where I'm going with this. When I decide to be an encourager, I'm vulnerable to the painful reality that the discouraged person I'm talking to may continue to suffer, may suffer more in the future, that the difficulties may never go away. I'm vulnerable to having a life that is a little less comfortable and easy than it's been. And this seems like something to be avoided. And we do avoid it. When you say to a person who just told you their experience of being discouraged, you think that's bad. What you're saying is, I'm uncomfortable dealing with what you are experiencing, and I don't know what to say, so I'm going to change the subject to this other thing that's easier to talk about. I do not have the courage to be in your story with you. I do not want to be vulnerable. And here is a confession from my life in this regard. A few months ago, Jerry's counselor advised him to write down the story of the last few years as a way of capturing it and getting it out there, and maybe helping him not have to carry it with him all of the time, and then to send the story to whomever he wanted to invite in. So he sent me an email in December with a 15-page, (laughs) single-spaced document attached. And in the email, he explained that the document told his story of the past few years. And here was my very uncourageous response. Um, b- because I didn't want to look, I, for podcasters, I just put it under a rug. Um, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to know this much. And really, I have to say that at this stage of the game, I just kind of know, oh, CRPS and pain is horrible, and they've done these things to him. I didn't know the gritty details and the horror he was living with day to day. And so I just put it somewhere. Um, and tried not to look at it. I I love Jerry, and it's not that I didn't care about him at all, but I wasn't courageous enough to be vulnerable because I knew the document was going to cause me horrible pain. And I didn't want any pain. And who does, really, right? So we have a choice. We either decide to gather our courage and love someone enough to enter their pain, with them, or we keep it skimming across the surface and we're just saying, hey, you think that's bad? Or we tell jokes and make humor and other things that you do to try to keep the pain away, to avoid being vulnerable. So think about this. Jerry, my brother, is the one with CRPS. And I was all wrapped up in what this story was going to do to me. So at the root of this for me was really selfishness to say, I know you're living with it, and I'm really sorry to hear about it, but I only want to know so much, and I don't want to enter it enough that it's going to be really painful and make me cry. But I got past it, and I read it, and it's really been transformational for me in so many ways to recognize what was going on there. I didn't have courage, I wasn't really willing to be vulnerable, and really, I was selfish. Not only is Jerry the one suffering, but then he has maybe some family members who are like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about that, I have to go and play tennis. I mean, really, let's really enter in. So if you can find the courage and you're willing to be vulnerable, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that we can do for the Jerrys in our lives, and I talked through these with him, and he approved. (laughs) The first one is to look at the person and for me, I live, you know, several hours away, and so it was easy for me to kind of put that on the back porch, but that's not, that's not okay. Brene Brown has this to say, my mom taught us to never look away from people's pain. The lesson was simple, don't look away, don't look down, don't pretend not to see hurt. Look people in the eye, even when their pain is overwhelming. And when you're in pain, find the people who you can look in the eye. We need to know we're not alone, especially when we're hurting. So when I, in those brave moments, (laughs) have the courage to look at Jerry and read his story, I'm vulnerable to being disappointed that things are not improving, to incredible sadness when I get that close. So the first thing we can do is just look at the person. And the second thing is to acknowledge the pain. We think, as encouragers, that it's our job to take the pain away, and we cannot do that. It's a fruitless exercise. And also, you can't heal someone's pain by trying to take it away from them. They're trying to deal with it, and it's right here, and we're like, nope, we're not going to have the pain. That's not helpful. Again, it's fruitless. We try to take it away because we are uncomfortable. The Quaker activist and theologian Parker Palmer says, the human soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed exactly as it is. A discouraged person needs to be able to say, this hurts, without us talking them out of it. So when I have the courage to acknowledge Jerry's reality and not try to fix it, I'm vulnerable because I'm admitting that the world is painful and there are no guarantees And Jerry has a couple kinds of pain. He has the physical pain, and then he has the existential pain of what is my life about? What is happening here? And with either one, there's suffering that I cannot fix. And Catholic priest Henry Nouwen has a really good description of what's going on in these situations. He says, What keeps us from opening to the reality of the world? Could it be that we cannot accept our powerlessness and are only willing to see those wounds that we can heal? Could it be that we do not want to give up our illusion that we are masters over our world and therefore create our own Disneyland where we can make ourselves believe that all events of life are safely under control? Could it be that our blindness and deafness are signs of our own resistance to acknowledging that we are not the Lord of the universe? It's hard to allow these questions to go beyond the level of rhetoric and to really sense in our innermost self how much we resent our powerlessness. I resent my powerlessness to heal Jerry. When I have the courage to open myself up to my powerlessness to fix Jerry, then I'm vulnerable again to carrying sadness every day that cannot be overcome in this life. So here's what I need to do for Jerry, I need to look at him, I need to acknowledge his pain. So who do you need to look at? Whose pain do you need to acknowledge? It will take courage. It will take a willingness to be vulnerable. You cannot love someone without being willing to carry their sadness, no matter how great the sadness is. And if you are not willing to be vulnerable, you cannot encourage people. If you are not willing to be vulnerable, you cannot encourage people. I never understood this until Jerry. Because in our family, we didn't really encourage people. We just told them, hey, get, out, get over it and come back out and do fun things. So I didn't understand up close this reality. I didn't know the reason that I did not want to open this document and I wanted to slide it under a rug was because it would make me feel vulnerable and powerless. And it did! It did. I much prefer to encourage people with really simple, fixable, and temporary problems, right? And this is important too. I don't want to dismiss the fact that we need encouragement for the daily stuff of life. But when we're dealing with friends and family who have these sort of more temporary and fixable problems, the principles apply as well. Really look at the person and where they are and acknowledge that this hurts. Don't tell them that they don't have faith or they'll get over it. Just be with them in the midst of the struggle. So for a person who doesn't get a job they really wanted, the message is, I totally feel why this is so upsetting, and I am with you. This does not define you. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. And we may have to say those things many times, and we may have to just sit with them in silence while they're sad. And then eventually, we may be able to offer the sentiment that you all know that my, one of my high school teachers shared with me, which is, this too shall pass. Most of the things we get discouraged about are not at the level of Jerry. Most will pass in this lifetime. But Jerry's probably won't in this lifetime. And we have to work harder at encouragement during these times. We have to be willing to love so much that we feel pain. Jerry's worked. While all of us were running around acting like idiots, he did his own work on how to deal with this discouragement. And we were sometimes successful at being with him and sometimes not, but he, he's a trooper and he was always working hard to get to a better place emotionally. He shared what this journey's been for him. Three things. One, find your people. He had to find some people who were really with him and who would look at him and who would acknowledge his pain. And Greg's going to have more to say about that next week. You need people when you're in pain. The second thing he said is he had to be willing to surrender his old life narrative for a new one. And this was really upsetting to me because I was still waiting for Tigger to come back. I was waiting for Tigger longer than he was. He had to accept that things were not going to be the same. He had to lean into Jesus as he was reminded that Jesus walks beside him each moment of every day. Well, the only way you can make this exchange of the old narrative for a new one is if you believe there's a better life to come. And this is what we believe, right? This is what we believe. We don't feel it all the time when we really need to know that there's a better life to come. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. Paul said in Romans, The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He's had to let go of many of the things that define him in this life and hold on to the hope that's offered for the next life. And really, what I'm hoping for him is there's just awesome tennis courts. That life. And then third, he had to believe that God cares for him, and I'm gonna share this in his words. He said, when asked by others about how I'm managing, I offer a story to explain where I've found rest. I talk about the times when my children were sick or injured and how I ached because of their discomfort. I showed my love and compassion by offering my presence and giving reassurance that I would not leave them. They knew in their hearts that they could count on me and believe my words. God is walking with me and offers me the same assurance. I've come to understand that my actions as a father toward my children are just a faint reflection of God's boundless love and compassion for me, he says. And then he says, In one of my many moments of doubt and questioning, God brought my thoughts to the question that Jesus asked his disciples in John 6 when many followers were turning away from him. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, You do not want to leave me too, do you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jerry says, these words came at a time when I was losing my grip on hope and it helped me regain my bearings because I know in my heart that nothing else I might pursue to relieve my suffering would be life-giving. And that's where he stands today, believing that God is with him in every moment of every day and knowing that God has the eternal life in store for him. So, Jerry's story is the kind of story with a true victim, and it's easy to root for him because he's suffering through no fault of his own. But in many ways, the harder question for us as individuals and for the church is what we do with people who are suffering because of their own mistakes. I've been discouraged because of my own mistakes many times, I have friends and family who've struggled with some of the big things, substance abuse, financial burdens, relationship blow-ups, bad choices, and on and on. There are many ways, right, to make mistakes with our lives. And these people who've made mistakes with their lives are also discouraged. And then they're often ashamed because they think, I screwed up my life. So the question for the church is, how can we punish, I mean encourage, people who've made poor choices? Right? We know what the question needs to be, and we know what it is sometimes. Well, let's see what Jesus says about that. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This good news, this is an invitation for all, no exceptions. Even if your reason for discouragement is that you screwed up, this is an invitation for you. And God could not love you any more or less, regardless of what you've done. And I want to know, do you guys think the church, and I don't mean this church, but I mean the big church, is doing well at extending and living out this invitation to all? Even the ones that have screwed up? Isn't that sad? This is the coolest invitation. And doesn't it seem like any person who heard this would get really excited that this is an invitation for them, especially if they could look around and be like, look at all these cool church people who are living out this invitation for all to find rest for their weary souls. And I'm concerned that sometimes they're hearing a different message. So I did a translation, my own translation, uh, from the Greek on this verse. Here's my translation. Come to me, all you that are doing pretty well, and have your acts together, and I will remind you of a few more things you should be doing, and then you can take a short nap. (laughs) Take on a heavy burden from me about all of the do's and don'ts that are part of my plan. Learn from me how to quit screwing up. I am gentle with people who don't sin too much. And I was humble for a while in the manger, but now I'm just exhausted by how far short you are all falling from my example. I'm offering rest for the souls of those who have not done certain sins, but it's not available if your life is a bit of a dumpster fire. Sorry it can't be easier, and sorry it feels like a heavy load, but pull yourself together and do better. I didn't put it on the screen because I didn't want to get struck by lightning, but we have this amazing offer of peace and rest and encouragement for all, and it gets perverted. Jesus was talking to people who had been weighed down by the Pharisees' demands, the religious leaders of the day. Do this, don't do that, do this, law after law, hundreds of laws that they're trying to keep. And Jesus came on the scene, and the reason it was good news is because he said, that's not what I'm about. I'm here to give you rest for your souls. Come to me. This is the invitation. And sometimes the church seems more like the Pharisees. Come in here, we've got a list. And that's not what Jesus was doing. It's not what Jesus was about. But this is what people get when they come in contact with the church or church people sometimes. So someone bravely enters a church, just barely clinging to their faith, or feeling like a sinful failure, and they find judgment instead of rest. So for us to live out this invitation requires that we courageously look at people, acknowledge their pain, and suspend judgment. It's so much easier to look at people and find a reason for their suffering so that we could say, this won't happen to me. So the like, Jerry, what did you do? What bad thing did you do to get this to happen? And then I can be like, well, I didn't do that thing, so I'm fine. See, it keeps us from being vulnerable and being hurt and being afraid of our powerlessness. That's not the kingdom. Perfect love casts out fear, so we welcome the people with, in wheelchairs and with various kinds of disabilities, and we welcome the people who've made poor choices. We're all a bit of a dumpster fire, right? And we all come in together and we suspend judgment. We don't put an asterisk by people's pain, as though some is more deserving of encouragement than others. There's no footnotes that say, this discouragement was caused by poor choices. Oh, and this one wasn't. There isn't, there's not a separation. People get discouraged for a variety of reasons and our job as the church is to welcome them, welcome them all and encourage them and give them rest for their souls because when we give that rest, that's when healing can begin on a spiritual level and hopefully sometimes on a physical level. Amen. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how God and the church and us as individuals can be part of offering encouragement in a real way with no footnotes. That's what we're going to do. So I want to read again the invitation of Jesus, and let's take this to heart and keep it in mind. From Matthew. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My mom called yesterday and asked if I could tell everybody to pray for Jerry. <laughs> my mom's 86 and she's, this has been one of the hardest things dealing with her kids. So I'm going to pray for us today and I'm going to pray for Jerry today. And my mom would appreciate it <laughs> if you would take him with you. Let's pray. God, there's so much discouragement in this broken world. And we thank you that you are with us, that you look at us, and that you acknowledge our pain. And I pray that we could learn from you how to do that better for each other. I pray for people here who are suffering physically, who are suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I ask that you would enter in with them and that you would surround them with their people who will look at them and acknowledge their pain. And today we lift Jerry to you And ask for your peace that passes understanding and your presence with him. Be with that family and bring healing. And help this be a place for all to receive rest for their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Come for prayer up front if you need it.